Think insurance is boring? Think again. Many experts say that insurance is the most powerful industry on the planet. So join us and discover why the Quarters Cast is making insurance super cool. Welcome to the Quarters Cast. Uh, my guest today is a nationally recognized certified financial planner with a master's in science in financial services from the American College. In 2021, he was named one of New Jersey's top 10 financial professionals by NJ Biz. He's the host of his own popular business and finance podcast, and he regularly contributes to mainstream platforms such as CNBC, Newsmax, Yahoo Finance, and AARP. With his first book, published in 2016, entitled Millennial Millionaire, he became a nationally sought-after speaker. And he's here today with his second book, uh, entitled, What Should I Do With My Money? It, uh, Economic Insights to Build Wealth wealth Amid Chaos. He's a husband and father of three, and he's also a top-level athlete who practices uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's uh, participated in an Ironman and a marathon. So please help me welcome Brian Kuderna. Thank you, Brian, for being here. So Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Sure. So let's uh, jump in with your second book, because I think you've got uh, a really interesting concept. You seem to stress that um, it's the overall, uh, you know, group concept, how people live, how they work, how they play, uh, that determines uh, corporations and nations and how they make money and how they lose money. And mm -hmm. so kind of like the macro world connects to the micro world. So can you explain that concept? That's right. Yeah, I think that's excellent. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you you uh, how you connect yeah. that. Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, the way that I view wealth and, and I define it in the book, which really kind of kicks off the entire conversation, is less from just a standpoint of pure money and, and the monetary decisions and consequences and more from kind of this holistic approach of well-being. And so that's where I look at wealth. If you look at the etymology of the word comes the word wheel, W-E-A-L, which actually means well-being. And so that's where we get a lot of kind of this holistic approach to, you know, making decisions that are not just purely mathematical. And then when you look at like the micro and macro economies, you know, so many people feel like they're just, they're stuck in this gigantic system that they don't know how we got here. And that it's like, where does their, their vote, their decision, their investment, you know, how did it all to it all? Um, but really 8 billion people here we all feed up to what make up these economies um, and micro economies become macro economies so that's where i really connect those dots throughout the book so that people really understand what their decision making you know does for them okay all right so on that point um i want to quote you as saying you must understand that money your money rests at the heart of every major issue in the world so we've seen extraordinary mm -hmm. changes in the last two, three years. So I'd love to hear what you uh, say about what's been happening all around the world and, and what how that uh, affects us as individuals. Sure. I mean, and there's so many examples I could just pull from, you know, the right here and now where you talk about, you know, here in the States, we're dealing with, you know, hitting our, our debt ceiling. And, you know, so a lot of people, some people are freaking out about that. Others are like, oh, we've done this plenty of times. It's nothing new. Uh, and, and kind of the truth kind of lies somewhere in between there. 
but you know, why are we hitting our debt ceiling? Well, it's all these different entitlements, you know, that we're trying to keep solvent. It's your social security payment that you want to retire with. It's your Medicaid that you're depending on, you know, can you pay your doctor bills with, you know, it's the defense that we're trying to keep up with China and protect our country. So there's all these things that are unique to like us as individuals that we want to have these different safety nets or these different protections fixed macro economy. Uh, even if you just look at recent banking turmoil over the past couple of months, again, it's individuals' decisions of we're digesting some data, we're creating an interpretation of that data, you know, is the bank going to stay solvent? We're spreading this kind of minor rumor that can, can grow into something much more. And then one of us is acting on that saying, okay, with the click of a button, I'm going to withdraw my account. And then that one becomes many. And then all of a sudden we have, you know, a, an evolution of what's going on to our bank system. So there's just so many of these, you know, little whispers that they start out at that create, you know, the the regulation and the systems that we live within. And then that ultimately dictates, you know, the the kind of breadth of our economy. Um, so I think that's where we, we can we can start small and kind of find our way all the way up to the top of the mountain. Or we can start at the top of the mountain and work our way all the way back to life that with whatever I'm investing in, whatever I'm voting for and the like. And, uh, you know, that's where I think it's really cool to see how all these little micro economies fit together. Okay. So now you have, uh, you created uh, Kuduna Financial. And so when people come to your mm -hmm. uh, company, uh, how do you sort of integrate them? Number one, how do they find you? And number two, what's sort of the intake process based on that philosophy? Yep. Yes. Firm is financial team. You know, I've been a practicing advisor since 2008. So people can go right to CadernaFinancial.com, uh, find out my more day-to-day -day job. Where do they come from? A lot of my clients at this stage come from word of mouth. Um, where I initially generated a lot of my business was through doing seminar marketing. Um, so that was a lot of, you know, going out to, you know, hospital associate, doing financial literacy workshops, insurance planning, retirement planning, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, where the, the book has just created a lot of buzz from a PR standpoint, but it's also practical in the sense that clients can read that and figure out you know, from uh, an economic standpoint, how things work, like why do we even have these products and how did they get to be that way? So that when we prescribe a financial plan and they ask themselves, is this the right move? Should I do X, Y, and Z? Now they can understand the rationale behind it, take macro standpoint, and then funnel it down to their own. And I think of that, what we want is getting the conviction to say, okay, now I get it. Now I get one and I'm going to stick to the plan just like I would my workout regimen or my diet, and then I can benefit from the results. All right. So let's, I want to see what that looks like because there's a lot of financial planners who cannot do that or they don't do that very well. And it sounds to me like yeah. you've, got, <laughs> you've got this uh, on lockdown. So really take us through like if somebody, if I was coming to you right now, how would you start? What are the questions you would ask and what, what's your goal on your end? To help me. Sure. Yeah. So in short, and, and I do have a process to that. And I always say you, you got to have a process. That's what kind of takes the guesswork out. Number one, client comes to me 
meet with their 22 years old and starting their career, or it's a 70 year old couple trying to throw a legacy plan. First thing I'm asking them is how can I help you? You know, if we work together over the next five, 10, 15 years, what do you want to accomplish? All right. So that's where we start with, you know, tell me about you, you know, tell me about what you want to get out of this. And then on the flip side, I ask them, you know, does anything keep you up at night? Do you guys have a worry that, you know, when the day's over, you and your spouse, you know, are, are you going to fix this? This is bothering us, whether that be a debt, you know, helping a kid with college, you know, figuring out their estate plan, where they're going to retire to, whatever it is, you know, I want to have those kind of open-ended, you know, dialogues, get to just know each other as people. That's step one into the actual financial plan. And in short, I, all right, going over all the gaps, the exposures, the insurances and the like, then it's focusing on liquidity. Then step three is managing any debts, particularly some of the toxic or the high interest debts. And then the fourth one, once we have, again, protection, liquidity, and debt in good order, then we get into the growth component, uh, which is much more of the the investment, you know, portfolio management. Now, you must be licensed from insurance to being a registered rep and your series six and seven, all that. So you can encompass all of it. So from growth to protection. Can we drill down a little bit more on the actual products that you offer and what are some of your favorites that you often suggest for people? Sure. Yep. So um, when I started out of college in 08, the first thing I did, I got life and health insurance licensed. Um, all right. So that, that I think that's a good starting point for a lot of folks, especially with that protection first mantra that I believe in. Um, then I believe it was in 2009, I got my series six. And then shortly thereafter, the 63, 65, and then the seven. Um, so I got you know all those securities licenses. I got my insurance licenses. Um, not too long after that, I got my CFP to be a certified financial planner. Uh, that, that did two things that added um, obviously a lot to my knowledge, but I think it also gave me a lot of credibility, especially being so young at the time, you know, 24, 25, trying to advise retirees on their life's work. Um, so that, that was kind of my credentialing uh, as I was getting, you know, my, my training wheels taken off, if you will. Uh, and so kind of within that vein, right. If we just look at my business right now, if this kind of helps give context, I would say it's probably, um, you know, maybe 40% disability insurance. Uh, I have a, a niche that I work on with physicians around the country, uh, very important to protect their skill sets. So I do a lot of disability, um, maybe about 25% or so life insurance. And then the remaining 30 to 40% any given year is wealth management practice, uh, which is a combination of everything, you know, money under management, um, you know, passively managed mutual fund accounts, and then of course, annuities. And so that that's kind of my product mix, if that helps. Right. Yes, it does. So did you work at some large corporations first to get experience before you opened your own company? Yeah, it's a great question. So I began my career uh, with an internship. Uh, the firm was called International Planning Alliance. Um, and so they were a non-captive agency that, uh, you know, could offer insurance products and such, but then also, you know, aligned with a broker dealer. Um, and then so I still affiliated with that parent company of sorts with that umbrella agency. And then it was, I want to say in 2013, 
spun off yeah. or doing business as Kaderna Financial Team. So from the get-go, you know, I was making my own book of business, my own practice, starting right out of college. And then from a branding standpoint, you know, wanting to kind of have some more own, that's when I created Kaderna Financial Team. And that was kind of grew that out past 10 though. All right, that's great. Um, so you, have you had an opportunity to travel a lot and actually see other economies and societies and, and how uh, money is circulating over in other countries? Yeah, so and that that's a great question because um, I think for a lot of folks, the majority of people out there, it's kind of we're just seeing what we see on the news and we're we're trying to read the best journals we can and kind of take, take this from a um, kind of like a, a – almost arms length away and then make decisions based on that, uh, which is fine. You know, that's the way it is for most people. One advantage I had, and I did carry this with me throughout, you know, my, my career and my life, uh, was when I was a senior at the college of New Jersey, I had the chance to study abroad at the university of economics in Prague. And so not only did I learn a lot there at the school, but more importantly, I was at a school, you know, with students from all over the globe, um, all the countries in Europe, from America, you know, all different states in America, from Asia, from Africa. And here with all these kids, 21, 22 years old, and you're doing the same things, you have the same wishes, the same dreams, and uh, and you're just living, you know, a, a world away. And so it's just such a great opportunity. And, um, you know, you see kind of what makes tick. And at the end of the day, we're all the same but we're all a little bit different too. And so it, it's just really such a rewarding experience to then kind of take with me throughout life. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, so you also mentioned, um, how does the acronym MICE, which means meetings, incentives, conferences, and exhibitions, can you explain that and sort of incorporate that into your, your philosophy? How does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it's laughing because... You different, and I guess as an acronym, I've never heard. Because oh. um, I have, if we're referencing, and that was really good. That's probably very applicable to what I do. Um, but so the the mice that I use as as kind of like a frame of reference for my entire book. Um, when I was in college, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. I read a book on the CIA, the Central Intelligence. And it was a really cool book. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but what they did is they talked about how they train their spies so that when they're moles, when they're behind enemy lines, you know, how do they embed themselves with the enemy and, and get those deepest, darkest secrets out of them? And one of the things that they were taught was to use mice. And what that meant was money, ideology, compromise, and ego. So a little bit of a, a different definition, but what that is, you know, has that guides their decision making. And so now here I am writing this book on, you know, all the different domains of, of and how people, you know, from, you know, mom and dad at the kitchen table up to leaders of nations negotiating, what are their motives and, and how do they make decisions? And you think of it, the mice, the money, the ideology, the compromise and the ego play into all of that. And so that's where with each of these kind of massive issues, environment, title, education, and we stuck taking into context mice. Okay. So that sounds like that's your personal acronym and or and that you took from that that book. Um, 
But the CIA, how do I put this? It's interesting that you you built that from a book on the CIA because I do think yeah. that it's the CIA is part of the dark underbelly that kind of stir things up in the society. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much, but certainly this talk about the deep state, mm-hmm. they have to have an influence. They just have to in our economy and and elsewhere. So I just think it's interesting that you've merged yeah. the two. And so what what do you think of that? Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it there wasn't any um direct correlation. It was just something I remember way back when when I read that that it stuck with me. It was like you always wondered like how do the best of the best of this that are trying people's heads what's the tool what's the mechanism they're using what's the psychology there and so that just simple acronym mice kind of always stuck with me and so then as i started to write this book and i was doing all of this research of why things are the way that they are why do we do do certainly negotiate with certain countries why do we come up with certain tax law why investments do better than others always remembered those motives are just inherent to humanity. And so again, not a direct correlation, but that became kind of a part of my thought process. And it just became very apparent, you know, in my research. And so that's, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the CIA really had anything to do with the book. It was just an acronym that happened to be there that then influenced some of, you know, my outlook. Okay, so do you think the CIA has anything to do with manipulating the economy in, in any way, shape, or form? They do to my book, but if we just kind of take a step back and can say, you know, that's just one um, weapon of sorts that that ha- our country has at its disposal to gather data on on the international community, to gather intelligence, and then make that applicable for things which can be economic or otherwise. Uh, then yes, it, it has tremendous effect. And that's one of the messages I try and preach in my book is that whether we like it or not, or whether we recognize it or not, economics finds its way into everything. So every decision that we make, usually it has an economic impetus. You know, Do we want to spend more or less money for dinner tonight? And then there's an economic consequence. So even if we didn't think about that, if it was just an emotional, I want X, Y, or Z, that comes at a cost, whether it be financially or otherwise, because we gave up our time or our toil, you know, to to get that. And that's where we talk a lot about, you know, lost opportunity costs, um, you know, economic term that every time we decide to buy something or to do something else, not only did that cost what the sticker price was, but also there was the cost of where else that money could have gone. And so that, you know, just is like a whole nother wormhole of uh, decision making, uh, but that's economics. So how does economics play into your passion for exercise and running marathons and doing the Ironman? Give us, some, how, how did that influence your career now? Yep. Yeah. So from like on the surface value and economic connection, there would be none. And again, that there, there kind of is. So if we think about it, we have the the passion for exercise, that's just kind of my outlet uh, to try and stay healthy and to be able to compete and to have kind of scratch that itch that's always been there, you know, from playing sports. As a... And then I think as I do that, that just makes, you know, my mindset, you know, a little bit clearer when I go into, you know, business, uh, whether it's, you know, how I'm working with folks at the office or what my mood is, uh, you know, as I'm meeting with clients and everything. So I think, you know, everybody wants to be healthy and wealthy. Uh, you know, it's a common saying. 
And, um, you know, another one, you know, we spend our, our lifetime, you know, chasing, you know, wealth at the expense of health. And then we could spend those later years now trying to chase health, you know, that's costing all of our wealth. More, let's try and have both. Let's have our cake and eat it too. And a lot of people can do that just going out for a walk or after their meeting, doing some push ups or going to the gym. Um, for me, I've always needed kind of a routine. I've been very goal oriented. And I think that's where having the marathon there, having the Ironman there, having kind of those marquee events just pushed me all the harder. And and it's similar. It's a very similar outlook to what I take with my business that I have goals I want to accomplish. I, I have a book that I want to write by X date. And it's really no different than the the track I try and take, uh, you know, to physical fitness and sports. Okay, excellent. So what country worries you the most in terms of being able to sort of uh, upset our um, the American economy or, or any outside force? What do you see as the biggest threat? Sure. Yeah. So I think, and we talk a lot about that in the book too, there is a chapter on war, um, you know, which has been here since the beginning of mankind, uh, but it's certainly evolved and, and uh, there's economic warfare and there's traditional warfare, which we get into both. Uh, you know, which country? It's of course it's China, without question. Um, you know, if you look at right now on the the macro economy, global economy, there's two superpowers. It's the US and China, two biggest economies in the world. We're extremely interconnected, and I think that that actually is the silver lining. And that we never want to kind of decouple our economies or it would be devastating to both of us. You know, outside of America, our biggest customer is China. Outside of China, their biggest customer is the U.S. So it behooves us, even if we disagree on a lot of things, we have different outlooks. Um, it's our, our people essentially keep us tied together to an extent. Uh, so I think that that's kind of the silver lining there. Um, however, their economy is growing or has been growing over the past, you know, 40 years very rapidly. Um, they were not a superpower that long ago, whereas we were. Uh, so you, one could say where we're slowing down, they're picking up speed. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot we can get into with that. But I think uh, from a national standpoint, China, they're the elephant in the room. Uh, and there's a whole nother kind of, uh, you know, threat out there that is not just nation to nation it can be these more of these lone wolf, uh, you know, the, the hacker, the the crazy guy that maybe just has some knowledge or has some influence, and because of technology nowadays, can find their way in and wreak havoc from almost like a, a terroristic standpoint, where they can create terror on a microeconomy, which can again mushroom into a per economy, and I think that's where you know little voices come loud voices. Yeah, you make you make an excellent point. And so to that point, I you say that we are inter interconnected with China as we are with all many things and many people. It seems like our politicians though seem to be about division and destruction. So how do you yeah. you've got 15 years in you know studying this and dealing helping people deal with their money. And so I can see that mm -hmm. these would be, you know, things to consider, you know, the macro and the micro worlds. And so when exactly. our leaders, when our leaders have different views than say we do, because it, in individuals mm -hmm. are incentivized to, to have harmony, how do you balance that in your work? It's a great question. So I would say that there's kind of a two part answer there. Um, number one, vote 
and study before you vote. Uh, I think that's that's kind of the first thing. Again, that's that's something that people died for that right to be able to. Tens of people around the globe that wish for to say and live in a democracy. Uh, so I think that's something that we need to treasure and, and we need to recognize the importance of that. That would be number one. Number two, going back to kind of the here and now, me, my family, my financial plan, and I turned on the nightly news and I just see the left and the right screaming and yelling at each other like like children and it's driving us nuts. You know, we I think you just can't get too wrapped up in it. You need to say, okay, I'll pay attention to to what's going on, what the dialogue is. Uh, I'm going to kind of, you know, based on my knowledge, make my assessment, and then I'm going to go live my life, all right, and, and do so just as I would otherwise. And I think that's the best course of attack. I think a lot of people get drawn in because the media now has such strong biases as well. They're showing you probably the worst of the worst, and they're showing it from their vantage point because they want you to think a certain way or they already have a prescribed audience that they need to satisfy. And so it's like, we're not watching the news. It's almost like we're turning on a TV show and we're just watching that show because it's entertaining us or it's, it's kind of firing us up, us up because we want to get fired up. And those things, there's just no win in that. So I heard turn it off and do something more productive. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. So one last uh, question, yeah. Brian, um, uh, there was, sure. uh, yeah, uh, you had sent me a few lists of, of questions and I really appreciate that. There was one on there that you said, uh, maybe sure. I should ask you about what your rock bottom was. People like hearing about that, you know, on when I do a lot of these speaking gigs, um, kind of every, everybody think there's relatability. And I would say from a professional standpoint, um, you know, it, it was really those early years of my career, you know, trying to build my own wealth management practice, my own insurance practice, where, you know, being independent, you know, you're essentially commission based. It's eat what you kill. I wasn't tied in, you know, with a bank or with a wirehouse that said, hey, you know, here's your $50,000 salary. And then, you know, this is on the way and commissions and things. You know, if if I didn't generate new business, if I didn't go out and get a client, there was no production. There was, you know, lose your office and go home without a paycheck. Uh, so I think in those early years, it was that that tug of war of like, you know, I, I am who I am and I want to be really good at what I believe in from a financial planning standpoint. Now I need to help other people see that and help, you know, kind of develop some confidence uh, in me to be able to to work together. Uh, so in those those early years, I mean, there were times you know, I think it was my second year in the business. So mind you, I'm only, you know, 23 years old at this point. Um, but just my productivity put me in such a way that I wasn't even able to collect a draw from my contract. And so I was going to go on suspension, which meant that literally I was going into the office. I was working, you know, cold calling, pounding the pavement, going to networking events and not being paid. I was literally working to try and develop a practice, but on the hopes that someday it would repay me. And so I think that was kind of the point, you know, being in a family that was all just normal salaried, you know, government employees, things like that, uh, that, you know, when it came to coming home at night and saying, you know, how'd you do today? You know, are you making money? You know, and they just couldn't, you know, my parents or my brother couldn't wrap their head around. You're working your tail off. 
you're putting in these long hours, you're paying to study and to get these licenses. And then you're not making any money. Like, what are you doing? But that's the life of the entrepreneur. And I was able to stick with that vision. So I think that was kind of the rock bottom where one, I knew it was tough. And two, the people around me were telling me it's tough and you're crazy uh, that you start to question, like, is this for me? Um, And that's where I think you really got to go back to that vision, which I did. And it gets you through that time. And now, you know, here, here you are. Thankfully, knock on wood, you know, a decade later and business is thriving. I've got the books, the podcast, all this exciting stuff, but people are very quick to forget, you know, how that was at the beginning. And so I think that's, uh, that's maybe my little rock bottom story. <laughs> well, good for you. Good for fighting through that because uh, I'm fairly new at this too. And it seems like that's actually pretty mm-hmm. common. And I didn't know what I was getting into, but the cold calling all that, everything you said is just absolutely accurate. And I'm starting a lot later than you did. Um, and just one last question, because mm-hmm. we are running out of time, but um, what would you say, sure. I guess it's kind of twofold, because you hire people into your agency. And also, uh, if you could mm-hmm. offer something to the listeners on how they can get through that uh, initial stage and what you do for your employees when they come on to help them get through that stage. Yep. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, what I try and tell a lot of you know, folks that are starting out in the career is that number one, be easy. Uh, so I think that's where lots of times when people get recruited into anything, you know, whether it's uh, any position out there, you know, the person that's recruiting is selling them on this nice position, this nice career, this nice agency or office, and, you know, welcome aboard, things are going to be great. And then it's this wake up call of like, oh my gosh, like I've out and no one's handing it to me. So I, I am a bit of a realist in that point. But then I will know, like, look at the light at the end of the tunnel and then have faith that if you follow this process, that it's all going to be okay. And then if, and if even if it's not, it's still going to be okay because then you figured out what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so when I started in the career, I remember uh, I heard from a gentleman said, you want to score with seven points. You got a 15 calls, a point for taking on a new client. And then a point for, you know, having a meeting, uh, you know, with a, like a prospective client. So in, I could control that. So I couldn't always control how big of an insurance policy I sold or how big of a retirement plan I took over, but I could control getting to those seven points every day. And if I had a few meetings, all right, well, I need four points left. So that might be, you know, 60 phone calls, which back then, you know, 15 years ago, that's really what we were doing. Um, so I, I think going back to just controlling what you can control, knowing it's going to be tough, but embracing that challenge and then keep that vision on where you want to be in 10 years. And if it's worth it to you, then get after it. Uh, if at some point you find out it's not, or you're just not enjoying the journey, do something else. Well, that's excellent advice. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I encourage everyone to, uh, look for, out for your book. What should I do with my money? And visit your website, uh, kadernafinancial.com. Um, where else would you like to send people? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they can get What Should I Do With My Money? Anywhere books are sold. It's available paperback, uh, Kindle, and audiobook as well. Uh, and then you mentioned my business website. I also have a personal website, just briankaderna.com. That's Brian with a Y. They can go there. They can read my blog, you know, find out about my podcast like my findings and things that uh that i'm passionate about all right well thank you very much and uh, i wish you all success
Okay, Brian. Thank yeah, you. my pleasure. Thank you Great. for having me. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. Bye now. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Take care.